Well, hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson with I Don't Care with, yeah, me, Kevin Stevenson. Uh, appreciate you joining me today. You know, it's it's always good for me to, to have guests who uh, we have a lot in common. And uh, Dr. Randy Ross is a fellow Baylor Bear, so you know what's going to happen. Hey, Randy, welcome to I Don't Care. It is a pleasure, Kevin, to be with you and been looking forward to our conversation for quite some time. Thanks. And, and I, the same. I've been looking forward to having you on. So my audience knows that whenever I have fellow Bears on, we're going to talk a little bit about Baylor athletics. So it just happened. So, you know, I was uh, uh, living here in Waco. You know, I was just uh, sharing with Randy. It's nice to have uh, season tickets to the three major sports. But uh, did get spent a little time at the Green and Gold game on Saturday. Uh, Randy, any you know, you got any questions for me on this? Be happy to talk a little bit spring football. Yeah, what's the scouting report look like? We uh, looking good? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked, Randy. Thanks for that. Uh, appreciate the lead in. Uh, running backs, really, really pleased with what we're going to look like this year uh, from the running back. Uh, rebuilt offensive line looks nice. Uh, quarterback room, we're getting there. Uh, defense looks strong. So, you know, I'm looking for a big year for our Bears, and I hope you are too. Well, I'm a big a fan, obviously, of the Bears, but I'm a really big fan of Dave Aranda, and he's a phenomenal job, and he's a, a philosopher extraordinaire who truly believes uh, in investing deeply in the young men that are put under his tutelage, and I just appreciate the way he approaches that and the way that he prepares them for life. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping we have a really good season. Me too. You know, I've had the chance to talk to Dave a couple of times, and, and I tell people when they ask me, you know, what's he like? I said, honestly, it's like talking to Yoda. You know, I'd be mean, really, uh, you know, you're, you're just waiting, you know, there with bated breath that he's going to espouse something, you know, some great, uh, great learning for you that has absolutely nothing to do with football. And, right. and so, uh, so it's right. a lot of fun. Well, Randy, again, glad that you're on. Uh, and so you sent me a couple of your books. I've had the chance to, to start one of them. Remarkable which, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can to help promote that book for you. But uh, I've gotten through a few chapters and it's great. Really enjoy it. Talk a little bit, you know, talk a little bit about you first, about your company, Remarkable, way to, way to co-brand. And, uh, and, and so I uh, want to hear a little bit about that. Well, uh, thanks. And I'll, I'll make this relatively brief. Uh, but I, I got a degree from Baylor, went on to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and pastor churches for the first 19 years of my career. I had a blast, loved it, had a chance to plant a church in West Palm Beach, Florida. And it was just a wonderful time where God blessed in some incredible ways. During that period of time, I had uh, a lot of leaders from the community, uh, businessmen and women who'd come and say, hey, would you come speak at this event? Would you come hang out with us, do some leadership development? And I just fell in love with the boardroom. I love the, the, the ministry, but I fell in love with the boardroom. And um, felt called into corporate circles because I saw this interesting disparity, this paradox, if you will, that so many organizations were struggling to embrace this idea of culture in a, in a profound sort of a way. They, they knew the importance of it, but they didn't really know how to craft it. And they weren't really sure about the impact because back in the early days when you know we wrote the book, it was one of those things that needed to be more firmly defined and addressed. And so that's what we wanted to do. And here's the interesting thing, Kevin, you know, having worked in the not-for-profit realm for so many years, um, they understand very, very well that motivation is not 
necessarily always coming through pay because you had volunteers. Well, if financial remuneration is not the primary driving force for most people, and we actually know that it's not through research, then what does establish a firm foundation for energy and passion and enthusiasm? And it has to do with purpose. It has to do with connecting with a cause that you're passionate about. It has to do with believing that you're a part of something that's doing greater good. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if in corporate circles, you not only had the remuneration and the career advancement, but what if you tapped into those very same principles that drove philanthropic organizations? What if you tapped into the discretionary effort that people had in the margins of life and you were able to call that out? What kind of an impact would that have in the marketplace? And it was profound. And so we wrote the message remarkable. It's all about value creation. And it's about lives and business built on purpose around this idea that we're driven by those values that we hold to be most dear. And it was a message that resonated and it took off and, and we've had a lot of fun. I've had the privilege to, to travel the country and talk to organizations about how do you eliminate toxic behavior and then how do you instill healthy behavior that creates an environment that inspires people to bring their best to work every day? You know, you, you've touched on a couple of things. And, and it's funny, whenever you're doing podcasts or speaking engagements, on that, I know you see this, you, you, tend, you tend to go in cycles of, of themes. And, and you just said two words that a couple of my guests have talked about pretty recently, and that's passion and purpose. And, and particularly, you know, you bring up the not-for-profit side. I'm in not-for-profit healthcare. But, but I found really in, in any industry and in any work that you're doing where you're serving others, that, that passion and purpose really play a huge part of, of the people who are involved in that work. You know, I had, a, I had a boss early on that said, you know what, you can make a lot more money doing something else, but you're not going to have that, that sense of calling that uh, that you have in healthcare, and i found that to be really true i know you did in the ministry as well and, and certainly you've called you know you, you feel called to what you're doing now absolutely well and i think the key for good leaders is to help connect personal passion of their team to the corporate objectives if you can make that connection between personal passion and corporate objectives then incredible things can begin to happen uh, but it all begins with alignment of values. And that's what we talk a lot about in the book Remarkable. You know, it's, it's interesting because the book Remarkable unpacks a lot of principles and practices from the field of axiology. And, uh, and axiology is an interesting strain of philosophy, but it's all about a person's value construct and their value creation. And so, you know, we talk about bring value, add value, create value. But what does that mean, really? In a practical sense, what does that mean? And so that's what we unpack in the book. And it's a it's a fun little parable that is packed with principles that people can readily apply. Yeah. As I said, you know, I've read the first three chapters and, and I'm really engrossed in it. And so hopefully I'll probably end up finishing it tonight, tonight the, the way I typically do. Uh, you know, looking at your website and, and love it, by the way, it's it's whoever did it, did a great job. If you did it, fantastic. But I loved a phrase that you have here. Uh, called yeah, Anchored by Hope. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's something, you know, particularly now, uh, you know, in, in healthcare uh, during COVID and now post-COVID, you know, a lot of people are, you know, we're, we're feeling more hopeful 
So let's talk a little bit about how can we continue, you know, as leaders to to cultivate, develop that hope in our in our people. Well, that that's a great topic uh, because during COVID, one of my my friends who happens to be uh, one of my agents encouraged me to write a book on hope. And I thought, well, that that's interesting. His challenge was, we don't know how long this COVID thing is going to last. We don't know how deep this trench is going to be. And people are going to need a message around hope. And I thought, okay, but my audience, uh, Kevin, for the most part, um, is Fortune 500 companies. And so even though my background is as a pastor, I can't carry that into the corporate circles because they couldn't embrace and endorse that. So I have to carry a different kind of message packaged differently into those circles. And I was thinking about hope from the standpoint of, you know, oftentimes we think about hope being deeply faith based and, and rightly so. But I wanted to write a book that talked about the efficacy of hope from a research based, scientifically validated perspective. And so I dug in and I did the research and I found over 200 studies, interestingly enough, on the efficacy of hope. And so I I took that, I synthesized it, I boiled it down into layman's language and made it very easy to grasp. But the interesting thing is, if you, maybe you've heard this phrase before, the hope is not a strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, people love, love to throw that around. Well, um, one of the chapters of the book is hope is your best strategy. Okay. And I break, down this, I break down this idea because you think about it this way. <clears throat> if you've got a strategy, you've got your tactics in place, but your people don't have hope that it's going to accomplish anything, how successful will that endeavor be? Mm-hmm. Right. It won't be. Right. It won't be. Because hope, hope infuses any endeavor with the energy, the enthusiasm, the passion to get it done. You have to have hope. You have to believe that what you're about to, you know, take off in in this journey that you're going to go on is going to come to fruition. Otherwise, why do it? And so hope is actually the foundation for your best strategy. And to talk about that in the book and, and provide some practical encouragement to people. Because particularly during COVID, we needed that, right? We needed some practical handles on what hope looks like. And a lot of people don't even know how to define hope effectively. And so we first of all spend time defining hope. Then we talk about the elements of hope. And then we talk about a means whereby you can increase and elevate your hope. And, and again, it's just been a message that's resonated much in the market. And the interesting thing is, you know, you say we're, we're becoming more hopeful, but the research doesn't bear that out. The research right now says that we're still, if you want to call it a low-grade depression, from a sociological standpoint, that there is an inordinate amount of turnover in the marketplace, that uh, you're seeing tremendous attrition, revolving door of talent, because people aren't happy and satisfied where they are. There's unrest about you know economic winds on the horizon. We're not we're not out of the storm because the fallout of what we've experienced over the last three years has been this trickle effect. Um, think about it from the standpoint of a sinkhole. A sinkhole doesn't appear overnight. You know that that water you know flows through that porous limestone for a period of time until it's eroded away, and there are cavernous voids emotionally for a lot of people because of the 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 toll that the last three years has taken, and most people have not yet effectively addressed that either personally or organizationally. 
So you're seeing right now in the marketplace a huge emphasis on, on emotional uh, well-being of the people, and, and rightly so. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and and I've talked with some people about particularly you know the nursing crisis that we're in, uh, and the physician crisis that we're we're starting to see become elevated because over I, I've heard statistics that over the next uh, I think six to seven years we're going to lose about eight hundred thousand nurses out of the industry. Uh, and about 175,000 physicians. And so, yeah, I mean, m- maybe I was just speaking for myself that I'm more hopeful, but you're you're definitely right. And this is something that has been been happening for a long time. So so with that, and, and, and you know, we saw the nurses and we talked about this pre-pandemic. I, I was talking with some of my guests who said, hey, nurses are getting burned out. I mean, this happened way before that. And actually, and in some small way, the pandemic in the beginning during the early uh, the early surges actually kind of kind of bolstered the nurses because they wanted to stay. They wanted to help people. They wanted to make sure that their teams were, were in a good place. But once those surges quit and we were kind of in the, the doldrums of, hey, what's going to happen? That's when we started seeing all these nurses leave. So now, you know, we're looking at how do we rebuild healthcare as as a viable industry to enter, you know, either for young people or, or people who are looking to, to to make career changes, how can we build upon, you know, how can we show them some hope that, you know what, healthcare is really a great place to be? Well, it's it's the uh, perpetual question that a lot of organizations are asking, not just in healthcare, but how do we help people find a career, uh, land in an industry where they're going to find personal meaning, satisfaction and fulfillment in what they do? And of course, the first place you have to go is that you have to make sure that the values uh, align with any organization and that what you personally hold to be uh, of highest and best use, your value construct is aligned with that that industry and that opportunity. Because I think the days are long gone and this next generation is pretty much talking to us and telling us that the money's not most important to them. What's most important to them is that they're a part of an organization that they feel like is making a true difference in the world and an organization that's going to value the kind of lifestyle and balance that I'm looking for. And that can frustrate us or that can excite us, but it can excite us. But we have to, we have to, we have to make the determination how we're going to connect with those people to bring them into the industry. And, and what does that look like? That's changing, but there's no, there, there is a, there's no new norm that's been established yet. As you, as you well know, and so I think what we need to really do is help people when it comes to, and I like to call it career crafting, rather than the organization career pathing someone. When the organization career paths someone, it's like they say, well, okay, you come into the organization here. If you do this, 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 and this, you'll get to here. And then if you do this, 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 and this, you'll get to here. Well, in Remarkable, we talk about just the opposite. What you need to do is you need to figure out what are your passion, what are your gifts, and what are your strengths, and what are the biggest problems that you can solve? Because if you align your passion, your gifts, and your strengths to specifically address some of the biggest issues that you see in the market right now, the bigger the problem you solve, the more value you create. The more value you create, the more invaluable you become. So I tell young people all the time, don't worry about your pay grade. Focus on your value grade. What value can you bring to the organization? 
And don't sit back and wait for the organization to tell you what you need to do. You go to the organization and say, hey, look, I see this challenge. I see this problem. I see this opportunity. I think I can address that. I think I'd love to jump in, roll up my sleeves and make something happen in this area. And when you find that kind of energy and excitement in an organization that's willing to go, you know what, we'll give you a try. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I, I'm famous for tell, talking to my administrator residents and say, guys, you know, when you read your job description, the most important line in it is that last line that says as other duties is assigned. And that speaks to exactly what you're saying. You know, try to find a solution to a problem, you know, and, and you know, make yourself invaluable. That's how I built my career was going in there and like, OK, let me help you fix this. And, and once we got that fixed, then we could broaden out to something else. So can I encourage you? So yeah. so change that last line ever so slightly. OK. OK. Rather than and other duties as assigned. Why don't you change that and other duties where you can solve problems that you find? I like that. I like that. That's much so, better. So put the onus back on them to yeah. say, wherever you think you see a problem, if you can apply your resources, your energy to solve it, you will create value. And that's how you grow your career. Yeah, you're exactly right. But let's go back to something that you were saying, you know, that, that we as as leaders have to be a lot more adaptable to to everybody today because we are looking at, you know, uh, emotional well-being so much more. I mean, I've been in healthcare for 34 years. And, and back in the early days, it's like, you know, physicians were working 20 hours a day, nurses were doing double shifts, all this other stuff. And nobody really thought about how hard people were working. And now, you know, whether it be generational, whether it be, you know, all of us are just tired, we've got to be a lot more flexible in what we do. You know, I'll be honest, whenever, whenever the pandemic hit and we started letting people work remotely, you know, we all here in the in administration were a little concerned. Okay, are these people really going to go home? Are they really going to work? Are they going to get any work done? Well, I got to be honest, I found out they were working even more hours because, you know, they typically would have their laptop set up on their desk or their dining room table. They'd walk by, hey, I'll answer that email. Or, oh, I just had an idea, whatever. Instead of, you know, whenever you leave here and you kind of try to tune everything out for the next possibly 12 hours. And so that wasn't the case. And so now, you know, we're we're actually allowing people to work from home a lot more. You know, I'm talking to friends in other industries. They're seeing the same things. Yeah, my my youngest daughter just started a job today. They're remote on Monday and Friday. And, and so, you know, but they're finding out that, hey, our people are getting just as much, if not more done remotely than they were sitting here in the office. You know, a lot fewer distractions. You know, yeah, you might be sacrificing just a little bit of camaraderie, but if you're more intentional about that too, things happen. Well, and you, you made two really good points there that maybe be good for us to stop and focus on. One is with remote work, it caught many people by surprise, just like what you were talking about. And just the opposite, not, not wondering if people were not working was not the issue. What actually became the issue was helping people find a balance so they weren't working all the time. Yes. Because what happened in a lot of situations is that access to information constantly working from home didn't provide the emotional break that they needed to find balance. And, and part of the fear on the other side, as an employer, you're worried, you know, are they working as an employee or a team member? 
you're going, do they see me? Am I proving value? Am I proving my worth? How, how long, how long do I have to work? You know? And so people found themselves returning emails at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night to prove that they were working. So we have to find, help people find, find balance. That that's number one. The, the other side of that, when it comes to the whole remote work situation is that this emotional health and well-being, I think it was that that led to so much of the burnout that people are experiencing now. And we're still in the lurch of this emotional chaotic situation that we have to begin to provide some quality content that will help people find hope, help people find a balance, help people be able to, to come to a place where they not only have meaning in the work, but fulfillment as well. Okay. Well, we, we've touched a little bit about uh, on your, your book, Remarkable. I know you've written a few other books and there's one that, you know, whenever people ask me, you know, kind of, what do you do? I said, I'm the relationship guy. You know, I'm the one that builds relationships. I connect people. I do all that. And you sent me another book that I'm really looking forward to reading, The Relationomics. Talk, let's talk a little bit about that. So Relationomics was a, a follow-along to Remarkable. Um, remarkable, Kevin, is more of a, it's a parable, it's a narrative, and it sort of unpacks these principles of axiology as you walk through this story about Dusty's life and his career. But coming on the heels of that, uh, I wanted to write a book that would be more of a, a practical how-to. We kind of built the framework for the principles. Okay, now how do you do this? How do you put it in practice? So Relationomics is a book that I wrote for managers, anybody who gives oversight to other people. And it's a lot of practical things that you, know, you and I might say is common sense, but I can assure you that it's not always common practice. Because in a lot of organizations, here's what we found, that, um, that quality, great people oftentimes are promoted or elevated to leadership roles without the competencies to be there. In other words, they were great individual contributors or they could have been subject matter experts, but when they were elevated to give oversight to other people, they didn't know how to lead in an inspirational sort of a way. And so a lot of things that you and I might think are common sense really are not common practice. And you see a lot of toxic behavior in corporate circles because people don't know how to do things well, like, ask for and provide effective feedback. How do you create open loops of continuous feedback so an organization becomes self-coaching and self-correcting? The, the essence of it is how do, you, how do you create a relationally rich environment where people can flourish? And so it talks about dealing with conflict resolution. It talks about getting in the growth spiral and what that looks like. It talks about... Uh, all kinds of uh, issues that, that leaders need to know to impart to their team, like rules of engagement, uh, when you have conflict, those kinds of things. And um, it, it's, a, it's a great follow along that is a practical how to to create environments that inspire people. Okay. Very good. Well, again, I look forward to, to reading about that. Well, I, I'm just here to push your book. So I've got one more I want to, I want to talk about. No, I'm kidding. But, but I'm looking at this one. It's fireproof happiness. Yeah. But I, I love I love the tagline extinguishing anxiety and igniting hope. Kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Hope is yeah. is this book the one the book that really kind of coalesced everything that we discussed around hope. Uh, A lot of it. Yeah. We spend time in that book. That's the one I was challenged to write. 
I spend time defining hope. And, and we define hope as a dynamic motivational system tied to inspirational goal setting. Now, that, that in itself says a lot. But it is a dynamic system, and it is a system. Hope is a system. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, you know, think when they say hope, wish, and pray, right? Well, we're, we're big believers in prayer because we know there's a divine power behind that. But when, when most people say hope, wish, pray, it's kind of like throw it out to the universe and, you know. See if it sticks. Yeah. See if it sticks. Maybe it'll work out for you. Or we talk about hope. It's kind of like pitching pennies in the pond and making a wish or, mm-hmm. or blowing up birthday candles, right? But, yeah. but that's not hope at all. Hope is actually dynamic. Hope is actually active. It's not passive. It's not sticking your head in the sand and waiting for the storm to pass. Hope is a d- dynamic system, but it's tied to inspirational goal setting, which for me, as I unpack the content, was really important. Because everybody knows, if you've been in corporate circles for more than 10 minutes, everybody knows about goal setting. We talk about smart goals. We talk about the necessary elements. We talk about how we pursue goals and how we establish goals and the strategy and the tactics. But the problem with all of our goal setting, it's missing one key element. Okay. And that's that for goal setting to be impactful, it has to be tied to character development. Okay. it has to be attached to your value construct. Mm-hmm. Can I unpack that for just a minute? Please. Yeah, you got me intrigued. Let me let me make it really simple. So every year, first of the year, we always make what we call New Year's resolutions. Those are nothing more than goals for the yeah. year. Right. But we come off of Thanksgiving. We come off Christmas. We probably, you know, had a little bit more to eat than we should have. And so what's the, the most popular by far? What's the most popular goal that people set at the beginning of every year? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to start working out. There we I'm going to start working out. I'm going to lose 10 pounds, right? right. Whatever, whatever that number is, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Well, what would you have to do to lose 10 pounds? Mm-hmm. You have to watch what you eat. have to exercise regularly, get good rest, hydrate, all the things that we know. So let's just say that you get into a rhythm and you, you do that for a couple of weeks and you're making good progress and you've lost five pounds. And then all of a sudden you go out to your favorite buffet on Friday night, wherever that happens to be, and you get in the buffet line and, and all those good you know delicacies are right there in front of you. And, and what do you say to yourself? Oh, I'll make it up tomorrow. I'll catch. Yeah. Yeah. You, exactly. you, you've been reading my mind, Randy. Stop. I've been it. so good. I've yeah. been so good. I'm going to reward myself. Right. It's right. I'm going to splurge. Well, you're not rewarding yourself. You're sabotaging yourself. Right. And, or let's just take it a step further. Let's say you're, you're on your routine for too much. You lose the 10 pounds and then you go out and you celebrate with beer and pizza. Right. Again. So that's, that's, an example of goal setting that whether it's personal or corporate, we do that all the time. What if instead this was your objective, this was your goal, this was your mindset, rather than my goal is to lose 10 pounds, my purpose, my goal is to be healthy. If my goal is to be healthy, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to eat well. I'm going to exercise regularly. I'm going to get good rest. I'm going to see the doctor regularly. I mean, it's going to look like much of the same mechanics, except when I go to the buffet on Friday night, I'm standing there and I go, you know what? 
my commitment is to be healthy. And a healthy person makes a healthy choice. So I choose to be healthy and I load my plate accordingly. It's a big difference because now it's tied to my values. It's tied to my character development. And oftentimes what happens in corporate circles is we set goals. We can achieve the goals and never really grow as individuals. And so goal setting to be effective has to be tied to character development, has to be tied to our value construct, those things that we hold to be most dear and true and meaningful at the very core and the essence of who we are. Because if we want to stick and last, it has to be tied to something more than numbers. And we say this all the time, numbers don't produce value. Value creates the numbers. And that's true, it goes back to the premises in, in Remarkable, that, that if you focus on creating value for people, your numbers will go up. Mm -hmm. But if you focus on the numbers, they may or may not transpire because numbers are always, always a lagging indicator. What kind of investment and value you're creating, which is the leading indicator. Exactly. Exactly. So we, we get it backwards so often and it seems like a subtlety, but it's far, far more than semantics. It's a way of thinking about the world around us. Right. Well, I, I know that whenever, and, and I'm in, I'm in goal setting season for the for the next fiscal year for my people, and but one of the things that I've always tried to do is, hey, yeah, we're going to have you know two or three corporate goals, but I want you to have a personal goal that I can help you hold yourself accountable to, and whether it's, hey, I'm going to read the Bible through this year, or I am going to eat healthy or work out or whatever, I want to make sure that my folks know number one. You know, I'm invested in them as people. And, and so, you know, and helping them grow personally and professionally as well. Well, one of the things that you, you could do, and I'd encourage all your listeners to do as well, is to to come up with a one-word goal for this year. Okay. And here's here's how you do it. Fill in, fill in this blank. This year, 2023, I choose to be blank. Fill it in. I choose to be bold. I choose to be healthy. I choose to be patient. Think of the character qualities that you want to have incorporated into your character and focus on that character quality. So that in everything you do, you know, this year I choose to persevere. Okay. This year I choose to be hopeful and focus on that one word, not just for a month or, you know, but, but for an extended period of time and watch and see what begins to transpire in the way that you think and in the way that you respond. I love that. And, and of course I'm going to steal that and use that in this year's, in this year's uh, goal setting. So, well, Hey Randy, it's been great. I've really enjoyed talking to you. The time has flown. Any final words from my audience? Uh, I just would encourage everybody to, uh, Continue to look at all times to create value for other people. Um, people like to do good business with businesses that do good. And so Remarkable is all about creating movements of good within organizational life. But there are a lot of personal applications there as well. And so I guess the, the one question that I would constantly ask uh, people to consider is this. Do I create more value than I take? 
And that if you ask that question with your spouse, if you ask that question with your kids, if you ask that question with your colleagues, if you're creating more value for the people around you than you're extracting from them, in other words, you're making more emotional deposits into their growth development than you're making withdrawals from them emotionally, then you're going to have a relationally rich environment. What I see all the time are people who float in their world and it's all about, well, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? You know, what does that look like on my side? But if we begin to walk in our world in such a way that we're creating value for others, that always will come back to us. Maybe not immediately, um, maybe not for a while, but in the end, it makes life richer and more full and more meaningful. Boy, Randy, love those. Those are great words. So, folks, uh, if you want to hear more from uh, Dr. Randy Ross, go to drrandyross.com. You can see all of his books that are available. You can engage him in speaking, and I would highly encourage you to do that. And Randy, again, thanks. It's been a real pleasure today. been a pleasure to be with you, Kevin. Thanks for the invitation. It's uh, great to be able to unpack some of these ideas together. Absolutely. And of course, sick and bears. <laughs> sick and bears. Well, audience, friends, it's been another good day here on I Don't Care. Appreciate you listening and viewing. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care.